right. Turn to Second Thessalonians, if you would, please, chapter 2. And uh, we're going to pick up where Brother Dennis left off. I'm going to actually back all the way up to verse 1 just for continuity's sake, but we're going to continue on with our study in Thessalonians. And uh, if Brother Dennis is feeling up to it, he can pick up next week. If not, we'll just carry on with what we're doing here. But uh, either way, we'll just maintain the continuity of our study. So the Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 1 through 7 today. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you that you are in control over both good and evil. And we're grateful that you reign sovereign and help us to see that today. Help us, Lord, to um, allow you to calm our hearts. As you said, uh, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Great words, and uh, help us, Lord, to heed them as a message from our Creator this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so verses 1 through 7. Let's read the text, and then we will come back and examine it and apply it. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, literally an apostasy. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. So the message for us this morning is, don't be afraid. God is in control over both good and evil. And that is um, the message that really uh, embodies the book of Second Thessalonians. And we see that Paul calmed the Thessalonians down uh, because they were distressed. And there's a great message in here for you and me concerning just being calm and resting in the Lord and remembering that no matter what happens, God is in control over both good and evil. Surely it's a message that um, really in these days daily we need to be reminded of. It's an encouraging thing. He says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. And so Paul wants to get their attention and he wants to get our attention this morning on the basis that Jesus has a sure and sudden return. He's coming back for us. So just calm down, be at peace. The idea of this unto him, um, the Greek preposition has the idea of motion. So not only are we gathering to Christ, but it's the idea of being in motion to Christ. He's going to snatch us up out of this world. He's going to pull us up and meet. We're going to meet uh, Christ together in the clouds. And that's a sure thing. And so on the basis of that, Paul says, I want you to not be soon shaken in mind. The idea of shaken is literally don't be rocked from a mind. So don't be rocked from a right mind. Don't be separated is the idea from a right mind. Um, Christ is coming. The word, the word of God is made clear. There are certain doctrinal truths you know you have been taught, hold on to those things no matter how you feel, no matter what you are told, hold on to those things. Don't be separated from a right mind. Let that salvation, that helmet of salvation, protect your mind. 
with right doctrine and deliver you from the things that would frighten you or be troubled. The idea is to be shaken to the core, uh, to just be literally rocked and, uh, and knocked off your step. He says, I want that to be the case. And there are three things that he warns us against. And there are three things that we struggle with today that are very common. He says, don't be troubled by a false spirit. Don't be troubled by a false rumor, by word. And don't be troubled by a false epistle, a letter, an epistle. As from us, there were false letters circulating, things that were being promoted as, as uh, works of Paul, when in reality, Paul didn't create them. Paul didn't write them. And so there's a spirit that would rob you and me of the peace that Christ has left to us. And it's a spirit that is constantly working in the world today. It's a spirit that we can experience not only from worldly people, but from Christians as well who are not walking in the spirit of Christ. It's a spirit that I can exhibit when the spirit isn't fulfilling me. Did you hear? Did you know? Did you hear about the latest thing, the government? Did you know about this? Did you, the vaccine, the pandemic? Did you know? Did you hear? Did you think? Persecution? Did, it's a spirit that can come from all of this. It's all over the internet. It's all over social media. It's all over the news. It's a spirit that would seek to rock your world and to shake you from a right mind in Christ Jesus. And along with that spirit comes the rumors, the what ifs. Oh, what if? Did you hear? I heard. So and so. I heard it on Fox News. It's got to be right. <laughs> the conservative social media site, MeWe, said it. Rumors rumors may or may not be true but words that would rock your world and shake you to the core when in reality they shouldn't they shouldn't now remember that um, the conservative world is still lost the conservative world yes I'd rather live with a conservatively conservative minded person but they're still going to hell they're just going to hell with a few more morals but they're going to the same place and so remember that that spirit can be found anywhere, from Corvallis to the most hick town of Nebraska. That spirit can be found, and it would rock you and shake you and rob you of the peace. Uh, he says, don't be, sh uh, don't be troubled in mind. Don't be shaken by a false epistle. There were all kinds of things floating around, apparently, things that never made it into our canon because they weren't scripture, but they were being pawned off as scripture. And there are all kinds of things. I, I saw a couple of weeks ago a prophecy conference held at the local. I live in Cult Alley. I've got the Jehovah's Witnesses over here. <laughs> Brian knows what I'm talking about. I've got the JWs over here. And right across the street, I've got the Seventh-day Adventists. It's literally Cult Alley. If you walk down that street, uh, you can see what I'm talking about. But they're having a prophecy conference at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, you know, and there are enough things that are right about the Seventh-day Adventist Church that it can suck you in. You know that they, their, their statement of faith, I did a little research before I got up here and ran my mouth, but they, um, their statement of faith says that they believe in salvation by grace through faith. That they don't believe it's by works or by baptism. They say baptism is nothing more than an outward confession. They would say that the Bible is the only um, um, standard for faith and practice and that it is the inspired, verbally inspired word of God. And they go on and on and on, but boy, they've got some wacky ideas about prophecy and wacky ideas about what Jesus is doing in heaven right now concerning his priesthood. And boy, they lift up this and they lift up that. And they've got Ellen White up there on a pedestal and she's the prophetic teacher. And they've got some weird things. So let me ask you this question. If my doctrine about Christ and his work is wrong and he is the spirit of prophecy, 
then do you think I'm well equipped to teach you about prophecy when my view on the spirit of prophecy isn't even right? So there's all kinds of things that are being circulated and um, pawned off as God's word. And boy, they sound good. And boy, they're convincing. But you need to step back and remember that this is the only place of confidence that we have. And so don't be troubled by those three things. He says, as that the day of Christ is at hand. The verb is that of a perfect tense, and it has the idea in this context of imminency. Christ's hand is there, as as, um, James told us. Behold, um, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, right? The judge standeth before the door. Literally, his hand is on the door latch is the idea. At any moment, he could swing that door open. And so Paul says, you be of a calm mind. Remember, the day of Christ is imminent. Let no man deceive you by any means. Don't let another man's lies rob you of the peace that you have in Christ, that valuable gift that is imparted by grace. And uh, only we can give that up. Only we can trade that in. No one can steal it. We have to surrender it. So don't let anyone take it from you. Don't don't surrender it to anybody. Uh, Eve surrendered her peace to Satan voluntarily and consequentially our peace as well because we are their offspring. But um, that was not something she had to give up. She didn't have to not believe God. She chose to. And so we can surrender our peace, but it's not something that can be robbed from us. We give it up uh, because we are God's children. It cannot be taken from us. So they were deceived. They were distressed. They were deceived. And uh, Brother Dennis already talked about that chart, so I will uh, pass over that. But uh, also Paul instructed them, re-instructed them concerning the timing of the day of the Lord. And number one, it will be preceded by a falling away. He says here in verse 3, For that day, that is the day of the Lord, uh, the tribulation day, the day when God comes uh, to pour out his wrath on the earth and to deal with the things we read about in, in Revelation. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So there's going to be a falling away. There's going to be an apostasy, an abandonment. Uh, this word is also translated forsaken in Acts 21:21, where Paul is being accused of wrongly representing the Mosaic law and uh, being, uh, uh, they were, the Jews were presenting a straw man argument that Paul was saying, we need to forsake the law of Moses. Was well, that what Paul said? Paul was upholding what the law really stood for. But anyway, that is the same word, forsake. And so the idea is there's going to be an abandonment. There's going to be a falling away. And, and surely we can see that, at least in our country. Okay, I'll just limit it to America because I really don't know much of what's going on in the rest of the world. But in our country, surely we do see that. People are becoming harder. People don't really want to hear about the word of God. They're very content with what they have. They're, they, they don't need the cross. They don't need Christ. They're good. They're being told they're good. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, we do see that. As Paul said, evil men and seducers show acts worse and worse. But let, it, let me warn us about something. Do not gauge or attempt to gauge the return of Christ based upon the decline of human of the human race. Okay? God has already said you don't know the hour or the day. And this, is, this, this type of an environment where people reject God is a hotbed for all kinds of theories to start developing. Recently, again, it was told to me by someone who should know better. Boy, the prophecies are unraveling. The prophecies in Revelation are unrolling. Do you realize that the prophecies in Revelation past chapter 4 
or chapter 4 and beyond, have absolutely nothing to do with you if you're saved. Okay? I mean that in the sense that you won't be here. Okay? So when you start hearing language like the prophecies of Revelation are unraveling, your red flag should instantly go up because that person already has declared to you involuntarily that they have a wrong view of um, eschatology, end time things. Okay. So let's, not, let's be careful about doing that. That's easy to do. Boy, it's got to be any minute. People are getting worse and worse. Well, it's been any minute ever since That's right. Jesus left. Think about the Roman culture. Vile, filthy, wicked. Every emperor had a boyfriend. Okay, and I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, and you think, you know, this is bad? Yeah, man alive. So, I mean, this is actually better. So I don't pretend to understand all of how this works. I just leave that in God's hand. I'll just take the Bible for what it says, that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. So let's not attempt to gauge when Jesus is coming back. Let's just rather be busy about doing right and um, lifting up Christ so that people can see him in us. Okay. Uh, it will be preceded by the revealing of the Antichrist. And uh, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition or literally the son of destruction. So he will be a man of sin. He is the Antichrist. He, his prototype, we read about him in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 11, uh, verses um, 1 through 35 and 36 and onward, is really speaking of the Antichrist at the end times. But uh, we read about him there. He is all that sin embodies. He will be absolutely wicked. He will be irreconcilable. He will have absolutely nothing to do with God. He will be a, literally a child of the devil. The son of perdition, he is a son of destruction. By intimation, he is the son of Satan. Uh, when it says in Revelation chapter 9 that out of the bottomless pit came forth locusts and they had a king over them and his name was, he was the angel of the bottomless pit and his name was Apollyon. Okay, this word is Apollia. It's an adjective, it means destructive. So Satan's name is Apollyon from the Greek uh, noun meaning destruction. And so we have Mr. Apollia here, and we have Apollyon, and Mr. Apollia is the son of Apollyon. And they go together like they fit like a glove. And so he will be the son of Satan. And you can read about him in Revelation. He's the beast that is given life by the dragon, and so forth and so on. And they'll have a third uh, stooge as well, which will be the false prophet making up a false unholy trinity. He's the Antichrist. Let's consider for just a minute his name, Antichrist. Uh, what does anti mean? If I say to you, I'm <clears throat> anti-vegetables, which I'm not. I love vegetables. I hope you do too. They are the foundation. Oh, they're so good for you. If you don't like them, get over it. Get over it. Um, but if I said I'm anti-vegetables, what does that mean? I'm against vegetables, right? So if I say anti-Christ, it means I'm against Christ. And that is absolutely true. The Greek ver, uh, pr uh, um, preposition anti, anti, from which we get anti, is abs that's what it means. But that's not all that it means. So it does mean against, and let's examine that. John chapter 19, verse 12. You can turn there if you like. You don't have to. Uh, the Jews are railing on Christ. They're talking to Pilate, and they say, uh, If thou let this man go, thou art not a friend of Caesar. He that speaketh against Caesar, anti-legi, um, uh, maketh himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. So yes, it certainly does mean against. The Antichrist will be against God. He will oppose God. He will lift himself up against God. But it doesn't only mean against. It also means in place of, instead of. Um, John chapter 1, verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received, meaning that of Christ, and grace 
for grace, right? Grace on top of grace, and that's a sermon in itself. We could talk a lot about that. But every day, there's just grace on top of grace. Well, I can't do what I'm supposed to do. I don't know if I can do that tomorrow. Well, don't worry about it. Tomorrow's not here. There'll be grace, and there'll be grace on top of grace. Anyway, that's what it means. The idea is grace on top of grace. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, same concept when it tells us that for one morsel of meat, Esau sold his birthright for, in place of. Esau cashed in his spiritual um, privilege of being the spiritual leader of his home, of his tribe, of his people, for a lousy piece of food. So instead of. The Antichrist will be instead of Christ. So he will exalt himself, hey, we don't need Jesus. I'm better. I'll take his place. I'm here. Where does that sound familiar? That spirit is alive and well in the world, is it not? He puts himself in the very place of God. I don't need, I've got inner light. I'm basically good. I mean, you can see this in the attitude of children from the day they're born. You have to teach kids that they are sinners. You have to teach kids that they are sinners. And um, I know the parents in this room desire to do that and to exalt Christ and show kids you need a savior. But think about how kids will, I'm so pretty, I'm so cute, I'm a princess. And now we laugh at that. And sometimes we encourage it, which we ought not do. For those of us who don't have kids, let's back up the parents in this room, okay? Let's not tell them they're pretty princesses. Let's not tell them, oh, you look so beautiful, you're just so wonderful, you're so smart. It's nothing wrong with praising in an appropriate sense. But I tell you what, when we start exalting kids like that and giving them a big head and inflating their pride and their self-will, we're not doing the parents any favors. Absolutely not. Anyway, that spirit, every kid's born with, and that has to be put down. It has to be broken. It has to be changed. It has to be uh, overcome by faith in Christ and overcome by the power of God's spirit moving into their heart and lives. And so that, the Antichrist will do that. The Antichrist will lift him up and say, you don't, need, you don't need Christ, you got me. You got the inner light, you're good, you don't need God, you are a God unto yourself. Well, that, that attitude is so prevalent, so prevalent in the world. See if I miss something here. Proceeded by the removal. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. It says here that um, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There are two words in our Greek New Testament, in our New Testament, that could be translated temple. Okay, one is Huron, and the idea is just the general concept of the temple. Its grounds, all of its buildings, everything that that temple encompasses. Okay? And then there is a more intimate word, naos, or neon. And it has the idea of something that is innermost. So if you went into the innermost holy part of that temple, where the shrine might be located if it was a, uh, a heathenistic temple, in the case of the Jewish temple, it would be considered the holy of holies. That would be the naos. Which word do you think Paul used here? And I've just set you up for the right answer, right? So the Antichrist isn't going to just move into the temple grounds. The temple, I mean, it hasn't even been built yet, right? Where it may not even be built uh, um, before the rapture, okay? It could be built after the rapture. But a Jewish temple is coming. Well, how do you know that? Because Revelation tells me a temple is going to be desecrated, and there is no temple right now. There's a Uh, an Arab mosque, and so a temple has to be built. There's going to be a temple built, uh, probably when the Antichrist signs his peace treaty with Israel. I don't know. 
The Jews, if you look into Jewish culture and if you study and look up things that the Jews, the Orthodox Jews are preparing for, they are preparing themselves for a temple. They've got the implements, they've got the accoutrements. The last I heard, they were trying to find some dye from a mollusk on the Mediterranean coast which with, with which they could use to make the dye for something. I don't remember what. Maybe they found it. I have no idea. But anyway, they're making preparations to build themselves a temple. It is high on their priority list. Okay. So again, not predicting anything. I'm just telling you what's going on as far as I know it. And uh, so a temple will be built and the Antichrist will move in and desecrate that. He will move into the inner sanctuary. Okay, just like Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek ruler of the 200 BC era, moved in, set up a statue, probably that of Zeus. We don't know for sure. He desecrated the temple. He desecrated the Holy of Holies. We won't talk about how he did that. And he made a mess of everything. And he, he put a ban on Jewish worship of all kinds. Okay? And he, illegalized, he made illegal circumcision and all these things. That's what the Antichrist is going to do, at least in, in type. He's going to desecrate. He's going to move into the innermost temple of God and set himself up showing that he is God. And that's an interesting term as well. <clears throat> the Greek verb apodiknumai uh, is the, um, we get a, an English word from it, which I'd never heard before, but it certainly says what it needs to say. It's apodictic. If you said, um, boy, Chris, you're a hypocrite and your life is apodictic of that truth. You would be telling me that my life is openly and without question displaying that I'm a hypocrite no matter what I say, right? Because my life speaks louder than my words. My life is apodictic. Can't be argued with, okay? I can say what I want, but I'm showing you I'm a hypocrite by what I do. That is what the um, Antichrist is going to do. He's going to show beyond any shadow of a doubt that he is God. Of course, it'll all be lies, but they'll be powerful lies, will they not? Powerful lies. And boy, we need to be careful because Satan's lies are powerful and it's easy to fall into traps and believe things that we shouldn't believe. But this word is also used one other place, and this is encouraging. Uh, it is used of our Savior. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. I found this to be encouraging. So here's the Antichrist showing... Apodic Numai, showing beyond any shadow of a doubt in a worldly satanic sense that he is God. But look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved. There it is. Approved of God among you. Shown beyond any shadow of a doubt. By miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Don't be discouraged. Don't be troubled. God has already shown beyond any shadow of a doubt, he has, with apodic numai, he has shown that Christ is God. Amen. Through his word, through his works, through his testimony, through his continued work today, through the continued uh, preservation of his word, through the work of his children, God continues to show Christ is God. God's already established that. The, the uh, Antichrist can do, can say what he likes, and should we get to it next week, we'll talk about how he will be exalted above measure, but he will suddenly come to his end. And none, as Daniel says, I love that, and none shall help him. But anyway, um, God has already shown beyond any shadow of a doubt that Christ is God, the Savior. And we need to rest in that. And then Paul says, uh, and then we get into some controversial things here. 
about who he's talking about. I don't believe there's really much controversy about it. I believe uh, the what withhold. Anyway, we'll get to that. And now ye know what withholdeth. Paul doesn't say who or what that is. But the idea is uh, now you know what is suppressing and what is holding down. Remember when um, God tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and, of righteousness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The idea is they're not just holding on to it. They're holding it down. They're suppressing it. They are restraining it. Because they don't want anyone else to come to God. They don't want to know what's right. They don't want anyone else to know what's right. They've rejected truth. And because of that, God's wrath is poured out upon them. And eventually they get to the point where they're irreconcilable at the end of chapter 1 in Romans. But here it's the exact same idea. So in context, I believe he's talking about the spirit of God that restrains evil. The member of the Godhead that restrains evil, holds evil down, keeps things back. And in this, there's a great doctrine. There's a great doctrine in this. And I'm going to ask you what that is here in just a minute. Only you know what withholdeth. What is suppressing? What is keeping back? That he, uh, I believe that's the Antichrist that we just talked about, might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The spirit of Antichrist is already alive and well. John tells us that in 1 John. Uh, little children, now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Right? So that, that, and like we already mentioned, how that can even be seen in little children from the first time that they're born. They're anti-Christ, right? And you have to be taught, no, it's not about you. You put yourself down. You're wicked by nature. You need God. And now that spirit, as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return, is just more and more prevalent. Okay. Again, we're not using it as a gauge to guess anything. It's just the reality that is becoming more prevalent. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth, and that's the exact same word. It's a different form, but it's the exact same word. Katecho, katecho, to hold down or to suppress something. So he that withholdeth is withholding, and he that withholdeth is now withholding, is how you can think about that. Letteth, to restrain, to hold down, to suppress. Will let for smoothness of uh, translation provided by the translators until he be taken out of the way. And so God has a chokehold on sin and evil. What's the doctrine here in verses 6 and 7 that really uh, should encourage my soul? What do you think? What's up? Yep, that's, that's something for sure. What, uh, what doctrine about God should really encourage your soul in these two verses? Nobody, not even Satan, is doing anything without God's permission. Nobody. And so all that goes on has had to get by the permission slip uh, of God. Okay. I've used this illustration before. I'll use it again. God is not like... Um, the security guard sitting in an office. I used to have a friend who was a security guard for Kmart, poor guy. And, uh, and you know, he had 25 different cameras. Well, you can't watch all 25 different cameras. Do you think a thief ever got by Doug? Oh, sure. I guarantee you a thief got by him. You know, but every now and again, he would catch the right, video, right camera at the right time. 
and see the, uh, the right person doing the wrong thing and would get out there. Of course, now you know, can't tackle anybody anymore, can't arrest him, can't throw him on the ground, can't handcuff him, can't haul him off to jail. We have, please stop, please stop. They don't listen. Oh, well, let them go away with the merchandise and come back to the store. But anyway, for the sake of the <laughs> illustration, let's pretend we were allowed to catch him. You know, here you have this guy, and he's sitting here watching all these cameras, and he may or may not look at the right one at the right time. But if he does, he'll run out there, he'll nab the criminal and save the day. But probably, more often than not, he's going to miss one or two thieves, right? That's not God. God isn't sitting there looking at 25 cameras, hoping he catches the right one at the right time. And when then something goes wrong, he's in heaven. By the way, he has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all, right? He's not up there saying, oh man, alive, I missed that one. Maybe next time, you know, maybe next time, God is the divine security system. Okay? He doesn't need somebody to sit there and, boy, I hope I catch this. And so that is not, don't have a wrong view of the Lord and what he considers to be a threat. Nothing is a threat to him. Absolutely nothing. And so he lets certain things go by because ultimately they're going to work out for his, his plan, his ultimate plan. Because even the wrath of man, and never forget this verse, the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder thereof thou shalt restrain. So whatever doesn't work out to your praise including man's unrighteous anger you will hold it back you will restrain it and so god is in control do not fear he is in control over both good and evil and that was oh we'll get to that next week or brother dennis will one of the two all right let's pray lord we thank you for this uh this lesson we thank you for your truth and we are grateful lord that you are in absolute control of all things and we're grateful uh, Father, for these great doctrinal truths here of just how supreme our God is. And surely we are like the Thessalonians. So often we forget these things and we get discouraged and we get angry and we get afraid and we get sidetracked. And uh, it's so easy, Lord, to forget the things that we know are true and to just rest in those things. And so we don't pick on these people this morning. We identify with them and we learn the lessons with them. And uh, hopefully we change with them, Lord. And we seek to honor and glorify you and to be at peace, not uh, ignoring the reality of the evil, but uh, remembering more fully who it is that we serve and how you're in control of all things. We thank you for your goodness. We pray for your blessing in the morning service. We ask that you would guide and direct pastor in his preaching. Help him, Lord, to say the things that you would have him to say and help us to receive your word with a right heart, with a right spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.